Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Robert Siegel has more than 20 years' experience in the counseling and representation of producers, writers, directors, distribution companies, and foreign sales agents concerning development, production, marketing, distribution, and exploitation of fiction and nonfiction film, television, publishing, and new media projects. His clients' projects have appeared theatrically and on network, syndicated public and cable television, and have earned Academy Award and Emmy nominations and awards and prizes at major film festivals. And Carol, I understand that Robert is a donor to your Dean Film Grants. Yes, Robert's been a donor for many years. He fully supports filmmakers with a generous deduction of his fees, and we really thank you for joining us, Robert. Thank you. So yeah. I'm, I'm excited because I want to learn more about the windows of distribution, and I know that this is what you deal with all the time, and they're pitfalls for filmmakers who do the, the wrong window at the wrong time. So um, I'll just get you started. We want to cover both docs and features. So sure. tell us what you have learned over the years. Right. No, it's very good and glad to be here again. Um, so, you know, basically they used to be kind of very traditional school of, you know, distribution windows. You had your theatrical, then you had your your home video, and then, you know, and, and then later on you basically had your television and all that. And then basically new media came in, so then there was the VOD window, you know, uh, in terms of video on demand, but now with Netflix and Hulu and um, Amazon and many others, we now have streaming in the mix. So it's kind of a bit of a minefield because you have to like pursue each of your windows of distribution or exhibition in a certain manner or you may foreclose others or limit them. And this is, and sometimes I may refer to Issues that are more pertinent to documentarians, but you know, this is a, I think it's applicable pretty much across the board. And you know, you have to take a look first at um, you know basically who's interested in your project, and if it's you know if it's first a um, say people say oh you know Netflix you know you get your pay most of your money paid up front and all that, and they hear about these thousands millions of dollar deals especially at Sundance, and I think that's great. And one of the reasons why they're so big is that they're really buying out your back end because after you go to Netflix, they'll want some exclusive. Basically, you're not going to be able to go to, uh, you know, video on demand, iTunes, things like that. I mean, you can, but, of course, the value and the interest of it will be significantly lower. And I use this as a way of illustrating this, where basically a client of mine who did a project, 
you know, made a deal with Netflix, and I'm not beating up on them or anything, but um, and actually didn't tell me until we were in negotiations with HBO. And as soon as I heard it, and I called up uh, HBO and you know gave them full disclosure, and I said we're willing to cut the the licensing fee because of that, and they said no, nope, not interested. It's, it's as oh. if Netflix is an alternative. It's you know another competitor in the um, you know again you know against HBO or any others. So we were able to actually have a deal with HBO LA because. Latin American rights hadn't been included in the Netflix deal. So, you know, basically, if you go first there, then you have to realize that the possibility of going, you know, the video on demand route of having your deal made, you know, you perhaps work with an aggregator deals with these different platforms such as iTunes and Roku and, and, uh, and Amazon and Xbox and so forth, you know. So um, those are going to get preempted by, you know, some kind of streaming deal from one of these sources. A lot of times, you know, people say, oh, I'll put it on Vimeo. And, you know, you have to, you know, it's, it's an issue because you put it on Vimeo, maybe it was for a short time or not. I had one client who did it for a short period of time. I wasn't thrilled, but it was, you know, basically it was exposure and it was very limited exposure because uh, everybody wants to have their you know their world premieres or US premieres or what have you so you have to kind of deal with the issue of um, dealing with these um, you know these streaming services in light of you know first you know maybe uh, going to the VOD window, uh, go through the VODs with an aggregator, and then go to Netflix. Obviously, if you do that, Netflix will pay less money than if it were an original, but you have to kind of figure out, you know, do you want to explore the VOD market initially, or do you want to really put all your eggs in the streaming basket, you know. Uh, so that's So the timing of that is really is really an issue. Um, the a decision has to really be made, you know, hopefully informed, you know, with advisors, et cetera. Um, again, I think the uh, other, other point is, um, you know, the, uh, we've already, I think we've already, you know, haven't touched on it, but you always hear about the problem of having theatrical distribution at the same time prior or day and date with a project um, being released on VOD. I mean, there are very, very few companies, you know, distributors, very few exhibitors that will take it, like maybe Sunshine Cinema or, or Landmark or something like that. You know, but the studios, they really don't want to do that because if they, they put the money into a theatrical release, you know, then that's it. But, you know, basically there are film, there are companies that, uh, like, uh, you know when you know Radius was under its last management, they actually made deals that were day you know previously or day and date with theatrical release for uh, Bachelorette, and it, it did better on uh, obviously on VOD. I mean the numbers, you know, getting the numbers is always a problem with any of these. Uh, you know, services, VOD services, because they're proprietary information. So, um, 
So, so you know, you have, you have to factor that in, you know, whether or not it's going to be a disincentive having a prior or a day and date uh, on your project regarding what, the, you know, the media is. And then obviously, you know, again, if you make a deal, say, with these services or even with, you know, with television, you know, or like an HBO or with or Showtime or something like that, you know, you may want to factor in a period of time for a limited theatrical distribution if your, you know, your film is going to have that. If you have regular distribution, which is less and less because the window for theatrical is shortening, you know, all the time. More and more we're getting VODs, uh, windows opening at the same time or very shortly afterwards. Uh, that's, a, you know, another factor to consider. And then basically, you know, this is more for documentaries, but I think it's still applicable. Um, when you when you do re receive funding from, uh, you know, public television, you know, whether it's POV or, you know, or American Reframe, et cetera, you, you know, basically part of that component is, when they paid you, you know, your chunk of the budget at that time, that is your licensing fee for all intents and purposes, which is great if it's like hundred thousand or that. But if it's twenty-five or thirty, then then basically you have to realize that um, that uh, that public television uh, wants to have the ability to, you know. Um, have viewers not just see it the, the day of the show, but also to access it, you know, during the licensing period, and you know that's a, you know obviously that's you know that's a factor. So you have to take a look at, you know, basically you may be shutting some markets down, and then you know the idea of whether or not you know you can t you can have a window close and open again to limit the amount of times you know it's actually on the you know their online service for PBS that's a negotiation because ordinarily they would say it's available technically for the entire licensing term which could run 3 or 4 years so um, that's, you know, and basically their argument is the funding we provided was the licensing fee, unless they really love the project and want to go over and above the amount that they actually, and it isn't just the public television stations, it's also the consortium of funders affiliated with public television, such as, um, such as Vision Quest for Native American or, um, National Black uh, Programming Coalition or the Latino counterpart of that. And basically, since they're tied in, that's what they're promising. The public television as part of their deal with them, which is kind of encompassing the deal that's going to be made with the production company. Well, this is why so, sometimes I hear people say that they went with PBS, but they didn't make any money. Yes, that happens. A lot of it is really bragging rights and eyeballs. You know, a lot more people <laughs> see it, yes. and 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 it's there, but it's not really you know kind of economically going to be as you know as you know as, as strong. Although ironically, when it comes to things like DVD, you know, home video, 
you know, you would think that, oh, if, it, if it's aired already on public television, who's going to want to get, you know, the, you know, DVD and, and so forth, um, you know, a consumer DVD, or we'll get into institutional non-educational rights and dealing with that. But it's surprising me there are a lot of consumers who see the program. They may have missed it or want to keep it as part of their you know, kind of their archive, and they actually do purchase it. So I found that very surprising that it didn't shut down or, or kind of weaken the, you know, DVD, you know, to what extent there's a Blu-ray attached uh, version is, um, you know, it was, was basically there wasn't, wasn't a negative effect. There actually, it was a kind of an additive, a positive effect of, of, of doing that. And, um, which kind of ties in, especially for the documentaries, but again, they're equally applicable to some degree. When you, you know, basically when you start dealing not just with consumer home video, but also non-theatrical to the libraries, the schools, you know, all the places where they basically, they use this part of curriculum, um, and basically you, try, you get money off of that. It's a very defined market. Um, but, you know, it's a little bit of common sense that if you're going to first sell your DVD, say, for, you know, basically, you know, $29.95 as a consumer price or $24.95 or $19.95, the problem is, you know, it's already in the market as a consumer product, so it weakens the educational institutional sales. So if you can basically try to carve a window that allows the institutions, which I, you know, it's kind of a holdover when we had, you know, film, film projectors where people are receiving, you know, 200, 250, 150 or more, you know, for, you know, for those you know, rights to play at a certain school or they acquire a, uh, although it's a DVD and not a film, or a Blu-ray, what have you? They they are paying the educational rate, which is like isn't 250, you know, 200 dollars for something that the consumer will be paying, you know, 2019, 24.95, 29.95, because um, the institutions supposedly have the budgets to make those payments, you know, those expenditures as opposed to a consumer, which is you know just using it for personal use and not an education. And it's sometimes do you think the educators and the other institutional people, you know, pick up the consumer version and bring it to school, uh, you know, so not paying the full freight on the educational and non-theatrical rights. I mean, I'll just say I wouldn't be surprised. Right. Um, no, I wouldn't either. It, yeah, exactly. So, you know, there has to really be a coordination in order to do that. And... Um, and, you know, usually regardless of uh, fiction non or narrative, you try to see if you can do sales off your own website uh, along with that. And the question is, you know, do you, does the production company license or purchase copies? They have to pay for the copies uh, for of the DVD to be sold. Um, do they get a discounted rate under certain circumstances? you know, kind of for the cost, and then you can mark it up accordingly. Because the whole idea is you're making a deal with a distributor for, 
you know, for they say DVD, you don't want to really severely undercut them either, because uh, you're kind of they're giving you a, kind of a, a little window to make some sales, like there and maybe at events where the film is featured, uh, or or is included in the, in the series. So um, you know, so basically, uh, that's that's something else. If you do your you know own distribution just for that for your website and let someone else handle the you know the you know the dvd and um other you know you know you know and you know and, and those rights uh-huh. so uh, yeah so yeah so well, that's yeah. Let me just go to a few things. Uh, libraries and sure. schools. Um, so, from what you're what you've said so far, what I get is that when someone works with you or whoever they work with as their attorney, they really need to know all of these windows and what is the uh, best way to go. Or here are the pitfalls if you go this way, or here's what happens if you go that way, and you can make your own decisions. But you stay mm-hmm. with your clients uh, from the beginning to the end of the distribution until it's sold and out in the world, right? Generally, yeah. I mean, a lot of times it's from the beginning of the project, which is like prior to production or anywhere along the way. and Or sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just be engaged as a distribution council and you know deal deal with these just with the issues in terms of you know sales distribution and other exploitation um of it uh you know that's you know it's another component of being an attorney on a project um as a, you know so and uh this is, and again a lot of people have producers reps which a lot of them are really fine but they usually deal with the main the main key deal points the advance the term the splits etc and going through the agreement you know that's usually why uh there should be a, you know a, a production company should have a um you know, if they want a producer's rep, uh, because they're salespeople. I'm not a salesperson. I make that very clear. I mean, you know, that's not what I do day in and day out. But when the agreement has been, you know, is being negotiated or you know, there's been an approach by a licensee, you know, that's the point where, you know, I, I will come in because of the other provisions that are kind of, Included outside of those just main deal points that you may have on a sheet of paper or on a, on a like a, a term sheet or a very short deal memo. Right. Yeah. So well. Yeah. Um, this is an incredible amount of knowledge. Too. Uh, uh, so let me just go back to something. Um, sure. Y- you said when uh, they pick up your, like when PBS or one of the affiliates, POV, et cetera, pick up your product, they often pay you your budget. So in other words, they may, let's say your, your um, doc costs $200,000. They might come in and pay you the 200, but that's it. That's all you're going to get. Uh, and for the entire thing, right? Or, or less. I mean, or I've less. seen oh. some projects where basically it's, you know, they've received almost like seed money at the very beginning of like twenty five, thirty, twenty thousand dollars, and so forth. And and part of the deal when you deal with the public television or one of these, uh, you know. Uh, members of the consortium that uh, do provide funding, 
you know, same way like ITVS provides funding as well, um, you know, for, you know, in terms of public television, um, that, that, that this is really going to be the right they have for putting up that amount of money and you have to be very mindful of that or, you know, I know it's painful to decline such money that's necess- that may be or actually or perceived to be necessary at that point. And it's always nice to say that you have distribution, but, you know, you have to kind of judge it also from an economic basis. So you kind of go in, you know, you go in hopefully with your eyes wide open. And you need someone who has had experience at this so they know what is a good number to ask for or how much you might be able to get. That that would benefit a lot of people, I'm sure. Yes, and and um, you know, basically, it can be with a attorney and a producer's rep. If you bring a producer's rep in, you know, I mean, it's that's um, you know, that's part of the, the team. And it's kind of interesting. Like more and more, the producer reps uh, agencies have become producers reps, like William Morris Endeavor. Uh, CAA, you know, APA, UTA, et cetera. And they, um, you know, because, you know, they, don't, they do make money. There is a commission, but, but I think a lot of times they're doing it because they're representing the talent, whether it's the cast, the parts of the cast, um, or the director or the producer of the film. So it's kind of like backing them up. And of course, you know, an attorney is is included in the mix as well. Um, maybe more than one, depending on on the situation. Well, um, uh, let me tell you what's uh, something interesting to me is that Amazon produced Woody Allen's recent film, Cafe Society, and mm-hmm. I live in Oxnard, Ventura. We've got like uh, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand people in this area, and we can't get it here. I had to drive forty-five minutes to a little art house in a small town, Camarillo, to see the film. And there were five people in the theater, and. Uh, it was it's a marvelous film but it's being shunned by the major distributors and i i guess it's because amazon is encroaching on the big guys right now but so that's number 1 that it was not, was not in my local theater where it truly belonged because of the quality of the film but the other side was that i thought well of all people in the world to have day and date release it would be amazon but bob i can't find it as a download on amazon yeah well it's, it's strange if it's been if it's be opening up usually they will it will proceed the theatrical window for Amazon or Netflix, or it will be day and date on under certain circumstances. Um, again, as I said, there are you know a lot of theaters that do not want to be competing, you know, with the premiere of a streaming service that people you know buy on a on a monthly subscription. So they they basically say no no I mean basically you should have held out but if you held out again the question is I don't know what the licensing fee was for uh, you know what Netflix paid in order to to do that because um, a lot of times uh, Netflix will coordinate you know a theatrical release they'll frequently actually make a deal or engage on a service basis a um, 
a theatrical distributor, but it's really more of a form of priming the pump and promoting the project as opposed to a way of generating revenues. You hope that would happen, but uh, a lot of times I think the 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 VOD numbers are are greater mostly than the theatrical one if you if you kind of compare them um, right. in many many cases. Well, yeah. does does Netflix when they make deals is it a flat fee or do you get a flat fee plus a pri a, a fee per viewing or how do they pay? No, it's usually it's usually on a on a licensing flat fee basis now. They used to, and maybe occasionally they do. They used to give like performance bumps if the film, you know, basically performed well, you know, theatrically and uh, or you know or or otherwise or or you know basically. Um, so there would be bumps, but frequently it's really the the licensing fee. You know, you'll you'll get your you know, again, putting the millions aside and saying you'll get your hundred thousand, you get your, you know, your fifty, or you, or you, or you get your quarter of a million, depending again on on the film and the cast and the marketability. Frequently, they they're basically paying, and you have to also realize that these services do not write you a check when you sign the contract. There's an installment plan. You know, because they got to take a look at the film and make sure it's delivered and there's quality control and so forth. Um, and that's true of any deal. I mean, you make a deal with a cable network, you know, certain on signature and then on the acceptance of delivery. And sometimes you, it's when it's, uh, and it gets aired. Uh, you try to say that it can't, it has to be aired by a certain amount of time because we don't want you to put it on the shelf for the three-year term for two years or two years and 364 days <laughs> until it put it on, <laughs> even though it's a bit of an exaggeration, obviously. Well, so let me ask you, um, sometimes these deliverables are expensive, and that is another fee that the filmmaker has to pay, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, basically the understanding of the distributor sales agent is that the licensor will assume the cost of, you know, not just the paper deliverables in terms of cue sheets and contracts and all of that, which aren't really expensive, but also the physical elements, you know, obviously closed captioning, which you have to do, or, you know, obviously for any type of, uh, you know, uh, streaming a television service or streaming television, or I'll say, you know, as well, because, you know, obviously you want access to, you know, hearing challenged. Um, as well as covering, you know, the cost. Again, the good thing is without film, we don't have an internegative and an interpositive. We just usually have like a master DCP, um, and uh, that keeps some of the costs low. I mean, when you actually make the deals with these digital services or the aggregators, you know, the, the delivery list is a lot shorter. You know, usually. And the question is who's going to pay the cost of encoding, and that's usually done by the you know the the licensor. But um, things like E and O, errors and omission insurance, you know, in case there's any issues regarding chain of title or defamation or copyright infringement or trademark infringement, that's really the producer's obligation. Now you hope your distributor or your sales agent or licensee may well, if it's a flat fee, it'll be a lot more difficult. But if it's something where 
money comes in on a continuous basis, you know, such as, you know, deals, you know, um, let's see, so like if you sign with a company in terms of that, an, ag- an aggregate will an aggregator actually cover your your E and O insurance. Um, a lot of times they they're not because they're just like sales brokers and that's it. But if you make a deal, especially like with a foreign sales agent or with a like a, a, a U.S. sales agent, and occasionally a distributor, if you make a deal for like DVD or something along those lines. Um, you you basically can have them maybe advance the cost of the E and O insurance, and then they would uh, you know and then they would just be a reimbursable expense. What people should realize is that if someone if a licensee a distributor sales agent says you can go on my our policy, you have to realize they're they're doing that to protect the project you know, regarding any problems that they may have. They're not naming you as an additional insured. You get the errors and omission and name them the additional insured. So basically you have to, you know, be careful, you know, you know, sometimes you do have to look a gift horse in the mouth in order to Wow. You've got to be real careful there, Robert. That's that's important. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It always, it sounds really good to piggyback on it, but that's a whole, you know. Then there's, there's, you know, you have to make sure that, you know, if you want the protection yourself, and also a lot of key crew cast have requested to be caught an additional short on errors and omission. That you know, if you if you don't take out that policy, you're not fulfilling your contractual obligation of of when you get the E and O to have them included. Wait a minute. What does that what is that about? I've not heard of that one. Well, the idea is usually a director, a writer, an actor. They, you know, they don't want to buy a lawsuit by being involved in a project. So they're saying, just in case, you know, there is a lawsuit and everybody, you know, has Kid Brother a name because that's the American way of of, of uh, litigation, <laughs> um, that they will be protected under your policy. E&O policy subject to the terms of that policy so that they'll be covered in case, you know, there's an issue about, you know, chain of title on the project, you know, less so documentaries, more so for narratives in terms of uh, screenplays and then maybe, and uh, usually for the screenplays and some other issues. Um, So, yeah, that's, I know it's a little, little, yeah, it's a little, a little far afield, but from from Windows, but they kind of unfortunately, unfortunately, tie all together when you're trying to get your project out into the marketplace. You know, especially if you're not doing, you know, basically just doing pure DIY, selling it yourself. But even DIYs, a lot of times you're making these, you know, these these upper deals with. Uh, distributors and end users who who basically are involved so outside of you know you know um, I mean basically very most of the time the DIY is not going to be for you know you have to go get an aggregator or you have to it's very hard because most iTunes and the other platforms do not they want aggregators they don't want to do one one off for each filmmaker it's just it takes a lot of time and they like to have uh, someone who has a steady supply and 
maybe they bundle it, and that's a whole separate issue if they do kind of package or bundle several titles. But you know, that's kind of a kind of a separate issue of how how to make sure you get a fair allocation. Oh my gosh, um, of course. But this is like treacherous waters. You think that making a film is hard. Sounds to me like that maneuvering the distribution world is really where the sharks are hanging out. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's like the kind of the good news, bad news. The good news is you have more opportunities to get your project seen. There are more windows. But the problem is a lot of the existing windows where we really saw money, like from DVD or theatrical, are dwindling, and unfortunately, a lot of times VOD, you know, or or a streaming deal does not make up the difference. You know, we've got you know sometimes you know VOD is you know, obviously the the economic model is you know sometimes it's like pennies on the dollar, you know, unless you know circum unless the circumstances are right, you know, it's. Uh, it's it's tricky because again and also the importance and the ability to have a theatrical has been kind of watered down because people say oh I don't have to go to the movies and see the film it will come out you know you know on the VOD shortly right. and unless you know films like you know science fiction and action you know people may want need to go out to really enjoy them but that you know that's a whole separate issue about getting people to go to move to the motion picture theaters. Well, yeah. I, I, that that brings up the point that Netflix seems to be buying a lot of documentaries lately. Right, because uh, again, it's more of an exception than a rule when a theatrical does well theatrically. You know, uh-huh. I mean, it, it can happen. You know, depending on you know if there's a like a, a specific audience that something is intended for. You know, um, you know, whether female or African American, even though people don't usually think monolithically, you know, just as a unit, they have their own dis- opinions, um, you know, about what to what to see. But of course, it's, it's a way of of marketing, you know, the project. Right. Well, so aggregators are are really uh, some Even if you were doing it yourself, that's where you should check on prices. Yeah, cause, and, right. R- right, because you're not going to be able to make those deals yourself. You know, because you're just offering one project, and they got to spend the time negotiating that one deal, even though it may not be, you know, as negotiable as possible. It's just a matter of time and resource uh, allocation uh, where getting involved with an aggregator, unless you basically make a deal with a distributor that handles, you know, its own, you know, deals. A lot of companies, a lot of small distribution companies, you know, they, you know, they, they may just job it out to an aggregator, and uh-huh. you know, and then you have to kind of figure out what are the circumstances when you should just, you know, withhold you know certain rights under certain circumstances. Um, you know, it's, it you know it really it depends on you know what what a licensee wants, and if the licensee, you know, for some reason, you know, uh, uh, this this frequently happens in the case of you know we'll carve out the educational or institutional rights from a deal with 
any distributor unless they can show that they have the ability to actually you know market and exercise those rights and that and that goes the same for for nonfiction you know you just don't want a company warehousing rights uh that they don't necessarily you know have a game plan for or they're gonna actually uh, going to you know be involved in 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 licensing those rights or exploiting them. Right. Too many so. filmmakers tell me, Robert, that they sign up with uh, distributors for schools and colleges and universities, and the next thing they know, six months, eight months have gone by, and they don't have any sales. They put them in a catalog, and that's it. So um, sometimes filmmakers can do better if they, if they want to put the effort into making that sale themselves. They, that's a possibility. But I also, when I interviewed Tug, um, Gonda, the president, told us that he's working on a new division for education, and he's creating it from the needs of filmmakers. So that should be I'm, coming soon. Yeah, I know. Actually, I have a client that did sign with Tug for educational, and you know, I had a question. That was the first time that basically Tug had come up in that context. So I said, you know, I mean, this. This may be a, a pioneering venture for them, but you get to be in the vanguard, you know, which may be good or bad, depending on, uh, you know, depending on the circumstances. They may give you more attention, or that you're kind of they're learning on your film. Um, so that's you know that's something to to consider as well. But one client felt really comfortable about it, and uh, and actually uh, it was a documentary, and uh, they went with Tug, and they again. Time will tell how hopefully it'll work out. Yeah. Well I, I like their attitude there. They they are very pro filmmakers. Uh and I like the cinema on demand whole concept that's going on. I think that's another window of distribution. I don't know where that fits into all of this though. Well it's 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 interesting like with with Todd, the whole idea is you're trying to you're trying you're trying to get kind of pre-sell the theatrical audience. If you have enough enough of a commitment from from an audience to see a film, they'll book a film. You know, <laughs> you know, it's just it, it, a lot of times it's it, sometimes you have to you know you as the producer have to kind of show them that there's actually going to be you know a, a reason for putting it out. You know, in particular markets. You know. So right. again, a lot of times, you know, you're going to be doing your own marketing <laughs> when you're involved in that, such a service. I mean, they they'll be very good advisors and all of that, and they because they've dealt with a lot of films. But you know, you can't just look to them the, the same way that you would a distributor. You know, saying, oh, they're going to market in X number of theaters. It's you know, in a way, it's a, it's somewhat of a service deal. You know, it's a, a variation of it. And mm-hmm. more and more, there are service deals out there where companies are getting paid a fee or percentage on the ancillaries in some cases, theatrical, to, to give a limited or not so unlimited, maybe, thea- uh, theatrical distribution. So a lot of times you'll hear, oh, like um, Sam Goldwyn is doing the theatrical and basically like you know, the orchard is handling, you know, the other rights or there's a mixture or something like that. 
you know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a way of, you know, paying the bills and, uh, <laughs> right. you know, in terms of cash flow, because I've represented service companies that they act like distributors, you know, frequently, sometimes, you know, uh, there's the real service companies besides getting a percentage or a fee, they're also, um, you know, asking you to put up all the marketing money. You know, it's just they have the relationships. They can book the favors. They know the people in the publicity and so forth. And, you know, there's a value to that, but that has to be evaluated. Yes. Well, um, uh, gosh, this is so much information. I surely thank you. But uh, in closing, I want to get uh, to uh, ask you about finding, let's say you have a, a, D, a really good doc and you want to get it to HBO or Showtime, um, what do your, your filmmakers that have done? Do they go to the acquisitions people at HBO and Showtime and just try to get in and get them to see the product? Well, I, I think, you know, I think basically you have to realize there are a couple of steps that may be earlier than that. And I had okay. a client call up about, um, you know, basically, um, you know, should I get a producer's rep? Because a lot of times producer reps, they have the relationships not just with the, with the distributors and sales agents, but also with the festivals. And they can't guarantee you'll be in, you know, in Sundance or any other festival. Um, but, you know, they do have a relationship. And ultimately, you know, the project speaks for itself. But, you know, they may give you a, a way of, you know, you know, getting maybe a little bit of a get of a, a, a leg up on that. So, and the pr- issue is one: if you've, uh, you know, if you've started actually exploiting your rights, or or even if you've already been in a film festival, a lot of sales producers reps see that as a real disincentive because you've removed one of their tools from their you know tool chest, which is the ability to, you know coordinate and strategize the festival, which may be the world premiere, or if it's not the world premiere, it's the U.S. premiere of New York, you know, East Coast premiere, whatever, in order for it to basically wind up on the radar of um, of, of sales agents and distributors. So, mm-hmm. um, and it's almost like, you know, you get to be a virgin once, but in certain cases, you get to be a different one depending if it's a worldwide or a North American or a New York or L.A., you know, you it's kind of a different way of kind of, you know, covering the playing field to get your get your film out there, even though it may have been seen in another festival. And again, you have to realize some festivals are highly competitive, like if it's going to be, like if it's in Telluride, you know, it's like, you know, does it go to Toronto or does it play later in Toronto? Not the first weekend. I mean, um, also if you're in if you're in Toronto, are you going to get into Sundance because you know they may want in their in their you know in their in their competitions, dramatic and uh, documentary, they usually want require world premieres. So uh-huh. you know, in the same way that we're dealing with the windows. Yeah, you have to realize with the festivals, uh, you know, some are, you know, more competitive. And if you go to one festival, you don't necessarily going to get into the other. And then you have to kind of make a decision, you know, which one, you know, you think is going to be the most beneficial, you know, to the project. Right. 
So um, at what stage in the production should you think about going to HBO or Showtime? Well, again, with documentaries, if you if the documentarian has a pre-existing relationship, which you know some of my clients do, uh-huh. that then they would be, for one project, you know, part of the financing of the project in, is really having a, a deal with HBO. Um, so it's kind of part and parcel of the process, and it's funny that at the beginning they'll sometimes put up like if they're involved in the development and production, they'll put up some seed money and sometimes they'll put up some more money and more money and then I'll eventually say, well, when are you going to pull the trigger and actually acquire the title? You know, sometimes (laughs) they want the ability to see the project evolve before making that final commitment. Uh, A lot of times if it's a straight acquisition, you know, um, as I said, the, the festival route and or the producer rep route or or basically if somebody has the ear of someone in acquisitions, you know, then that's 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 the way in. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, it, it's impossible to, to send it in. It's just it's, there's just so much out there, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll screen it, but how long will it take before it's screened? without it being vetted by being recommended by a festival or by a particular person or distribution company. It's someone other than you has said they really think there's merit in this project. Mm-hmm. That's the way in, right. Yeah. Well, do, do um, most of these people, like HBO, Showtime, et cetera, do they want to see your budget, and do they use that as a beginning uh, negotiation point for what they'll buy it for? I mean, you know, in a way, there really is no correlation between the quality of a project and its budget. So if you've been able to call in favors and, you know, and and save money, you shouldn't be penalized on it in terms of what the licensing fee will be. So, you know, I'm very, very reluctant to, to disclose the but you know the budget unless that licensee is involved in the financing of the project and that's a different story, but uh, I you know be very very reluctant to disclose what the budget is. Um, you know if someone says tell me about the budget or I'm not going you know we're not going to continue negotiating then you've got to make a decision. Good for you, because this is the thing. If they see that you've called in all your favors and you've put a lot of value, production value on the screen for very little money, they should not take advantage of you. That's where you're. That's what you did it for to get paid a good fee. So yes, I was worried about that. Well, um, yeah, you, you have to kind of hold your ground on that point as much as possible. And again, most of this is at what point. Do you walk away or do you not? Because I know that sometimes these projects they have they have investors, and you know, do you want to give them part of their money back so that you know they can go back again? You know, you know how much time has elapsed? And um, and, and you got to remember this whole process of distribution can is you know throughout the world is going to take probably you know up to three years. In wow. terms of just getting it placed, 
because mm-hmm. of the festivals and, and, and basically the time going by. So, you know, one year, you know, it may be on the festival circuit, a project may be on the festival circuit for, uh, you know, for a year before, you know, you know, and sometimes it's, and a lot of times at a festival, like for the Sundance, they'll be at the Sundance of like 2016 and the title hasn't been picked up till like the beginning January 5th of 2017 or later. It, may, it can take a year, believe it or not. To get picked for, up even, yeah. Yeah, to actually get picked up even though they've gone to, you know, South by Southwest or Slam Dance or Tribeca or whatever, you know, um, Again, getting into the festival is it's it's wonderful, but you know it doesn't guarantee any, you know, any type of uh, distribution. That's you know it's just a it's enough, and sometimes that's it's a tool in lieu of theatrical distribution is to have festivals go have a play at festivals, and you know because the nature of the product is, and I've had some clients where the deals have been made that exclude you know. That exclude you know there may be a theatrical. Sometimes it'll be theatrical and digital, and they won't even do DVD because for them it's kind of doesn't make sense economically. So that gets you know that basically is carved out, and you know well they shouldn't take the right if they're not going to use it. And then you got to see if you can actually make a deal within the window to actually be able to, uh, or prior to the window, to actually make use of, of DVDs. As I say, you don't want to use it, why should you keep it? Right, <laughs> you know? right. Well, then, to me, that says that filmmakers really need to put some sort of income in for themselves and pay themselves so they can sustain themselves for a oh. year to 18 months. Exactly. Yeah, that and again, you know, a lot of them obviously they're working their second jobs or primary jobs and this is like in first or second position depending on the timing accordingly. I mean, that's that's that's, that's kind of an age-old problem, you know, in terms of, you know, how, how to compensate yourself for the work that you're you're uh, creating and you're running the business of uh, of creating and exploiting the rights. That's it's always a, always an issue, and it's usually the part of the part of the budget that gets cut first when more money needs to be raised. You know, unfortunately, it comes out of the um, usually comes out of the producer's uh, pocket. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I can I can hear from what you've said that getting an attorney on board early on when you first start with all of your attachments and your uh, work for hire and getting the right paperwork, making sure your chain of title is in order every step of the way, and having someone overlook the project so you feel comfortable that you're not going to make the wrong move. Because any one of these contracts that you sign, if it's not right, it can cause a, a problem with the sale at distribution. So there are just so many pitfalls. You really need someone supporting you, don't you? Yeah, and and, and one of the you know one of the problems is that when you do a very very low budget uh, film, you know 
you know, sometimes they say like, oh, the production legal should be one to two percent of the budget. But the issue is, if you're making a hundred thousand dollar movie, you know, it it costs the same as if it were a five hundred thousand dollar movie <laughs> in terms of work that has to be done. You know, yes. and you know, it's the cost of doing business, and it's not on the screen, but it's no no it's no less important, and it's. Uh, it's always, it's always, that's always the issue uh, of uh, trying to make that work out. You know, you know, get your accountant, get your, get your attorney. Um, but you know, I know you want money to make a film, but you know, you have to find the balance exactly. in conducting this business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us, Robert, how people can reach you. Well, I have a website www. That's three. Yeah. R L S and ENT law at AOL.com. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry.com. So www.rlsantlaw.com. My email is um, rlsentlaw at AOL.com. Yeah, I'm really old school. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, that's what you need for someone who's going to get uh, get in the trenches and make all of these deals because I'm sure every deal is different. Right, right. and what, it, it definitely and what you know what's kind of interesting is that you know I may not personally use a lot of the newer you know uh, media you know as a as a consumer, but I do understand how it works. <laughs> you know, right. You know, basically, uh, yeah. So that's that's the in, you know important part of it. Um, you know, that's just that's just, yeah, that's just me because I'm um, I'm not the generation that's used to watching movies on movie screens. Initially, you know, that's a that's a different generation. Um, but it's um, but it's understandable. I respect whoever basically has altered their consumer consumption habits to you know meet meet the uh, you know, meet meet these various new windows and the order of them. Yes, yes, because there is more money available for filmmakers, but it's more work and a lot of education and a lot of support from the lawyer and the bookkeeper. Those two things are imperative, I think, with filmmaking. Well, thank you, Robert. We sure appreciate all this information, and um, and I hope that we, we'll get back with you another six months and see what's new in the area of distribution, what's coming out of all these great festivals in the fall. Yeah, and not just the new distribution, but also new forms of media now that more and more, you know, television has become a component of it, and 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 web series and people that you know were in independent film and still are a lot of them that basically have a foot in both camps or basically their feet are now planted in you know in a in television and streaming and all of that you know and uh including and I know a lot of people talk about webisodes even though economically it's it's very difficult uh in terms of generating money but uh you know the opportunity, uh, like for these webisodes, usually exit strategies. You know, have your webisodes, and then it becomes hopefully someone will love it enough to make it a TV series, like Teachers, or uh, you know, or something like that, which is on TV Land. But that's uh, of course a separate topic. It's, 
It's booming, and it is another. It's a good topic. I'd love to learn more about that because they're starting to apply for our film grant for webisodes, and I love it because these are really talented, creative people, and that is producing your own television show, and I think you're right. Those will be the people that get picked up in the future uh, because of their creativity, and they have enough courage to get out there, produce it, and put it online so people can see what they can do. Exactly. You know, there, there's a lot more opportunity. I have a client who just did a web series about immigrants in New York, and I told him you probably worked harder on this than you did on your feature in some ways because it was just it was very ambitious. It wasn't just two people in a room. You know, they were traveling all around. So uh, uh-huh. yeah, it's a, it's a whole it's a whole different one. A lot of times it is a calling card, and and again, in order to really start getting funding other than out of your pocket or from or from crowdfunding, you know, or you know, basically. Um, sometimes you have to prove a track record and maybe get somebody to come aboard as a type of sponsor if it's a fit. But uh, you know, that's down the road. Or you get or you go to Collider or you go to YouTube Red or, you know, something like that. As I said, you know, the combinations keep growing. Yes, keeping up with it is something. YouTube Red, I have to look that one up. Okay. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's, that's, yep. that's the Thanks. you know that's the one where they they actually you know the the you know it's not for free, <laughs> uh, but it's it's a it's a little market you know very good. It's a new market. I'll find out about it. Well, thank you, Robert. We really appreciate your kindness. Okay. No, you, you, uh, definitely, uh, you're welcome. Okay. Thanks, Claire. Take care. Uh, You're welcome. You, Robert. Okay. Okay, Bye. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone. <laughs>